it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Kim Sherwood. She is an award-winning novelist and a creative writing lecturer at the University of Edinburgh. Double or Nothing, published by HarperCollins, is her first effort in expanding the literary phenomenon of the James Bond universe. And she's here today to talk to, about it. Thank you very much. How are you today? Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to chat with you. Great. How would you, uh, how would you describe your latest uh, effort in the James Bond universe? Well, Double or Nothing, as you said, it's the first in a new series expanding the world of James Bond. I've been a James Bond fan all of my life. So this is quite literally a lifelong dream come true. When the Flemings approached me and asked me to start off this series, it was with two criteria in mind. One was that they wanted to bring the novels into the 21st century on the page. And the other was that they wanted to widen out the cast of characters so introduce these new double o heroes so the novel does just that at the start of double or nothing james bond is missing mi6 don't know if he's been captured or even killed and there's a new cast of double o characters who are trying to find him as well as trying to avert a climate catastrophe oh wow you set yourself up for for quite a lot to go on there at the same time um (laughs) How did you come up with that idea for the plot? Was it based on others that you had read or did you try to come up with something entirely different? For me, it was about honoring Ian Fleming's vision while also writing to our modern world. So I looked at what Fleming had done when coming up with the villains. That's one of the hardest things and the most fun things about writing James Bond is coming up with the villain and therefore the story because Fleming has so many iconic villains, you know, so so you're up against some towering figures. But what I noticed rereading the books was that Fleming always wrote about the pressing issues of his time. So he wrote about the struggle between communism and capitalism. He wrote about the fear of the bomb. He, He wrote about social concerns And I thought, well, what are our kind of most pressing issues today? And it seemed to me that our biggest global crisis is the climate crisis. It's something that we're all facing. And I wanted to bring that, therefore, into the story. So the question Mm -hmm. became, how do you personify that? You know, what human being can represent that? So the villain is um, Sir Bertram Paradise, who's a tech billionaire, who claims that he has the technology to avert the climate crisis. And MI6 have to work out if he is as saintly as he seems right uh, exactly that sounds like definitely something that uh ian fleming would write uh you mentioned that you paid a lot of attention to the books and not the movies people Mm -hmm. who haven't read the books don't understand that the books are quite different than the movies absolutely and if if listeners haven't read the books i'd really urge you to Uh, i first read fleming when i was about 12 I wanted to try write spy fiction and I said to my mum mm. I want to try writing spy fiction I didn't know how to go about it and she said well you should read some which is always fantastic advice for a writer and <laughs> I bought from Russia with love in pan paperback that beautiful edition and I just oh, fell in love okay. um, with the style with the story with the character and there are some differences to the films I think primarily that Fleming has this arc for 
Bond as a character through the novels, which maybe we don't see so much in the films, or at least prior to Daniel Craig's run, we didn't see as much that consistent character arc. And the James Bond of the books is also very vulnerable and very human in a way that sometimes the films maybe haven't been able to explore as much simply because they don't have the point of view that prose gives you. So they don't have that interiority. Whereas right. in Fleming's novels, we get to spend a lot of time in Bond's mind. So for me, it was looking to Fleming's books and, and obviously what I'm writing is set in the modern day, but thinking, okay, well, what kind of threads that he set running that I could pick up and what cues could I take from him in my new series. Right, yeah, and that was important to do because the books are a universe unto themselves and the, the movies didn't necessarily reflect the character he was. Because as you said, in the books, he has a lot more humanity and he's also a lot darker than he was portrayed in some of the movies, isn't he? Absolutely, there's a real melancholy to his character in the novels and the license to kill weighs on him. So if, um, I mean, I would just suggest people read the whole series, but uh, a mm -hmm. particular moment is in Goldfinger, in the opening of Goldfinger, he's just killed a fairly inconsequential kind of mid-level um, villain. And it is really weighing on him. And he talks about the um, the Death Watch beetle of the soul that the killing brings around. And we see that increase through the book. So the number of times he considers quitting is amazing. Um, and he has this kind of soul weariness and, and he ages as well. So when you see him in The Spy Who Loved Me, he's mm -hmm. he's quite a, a sort of weary bond. He's a bit battered around the edges. He's a bit soul tired. And that for me is one of the really intriguing things about his character. So the bond of my novels is around the age a double O is expected to retire. Ian Fleming writes that double O's are expected to retire at 45 if they're not dead yet. So mm -hmm. James Bond is kind of around that age and he is doing a bit of soul searching in my book. All right, well, that, that's important too for everybody who enjoys the character to get a mm -hmm. different take on him and uh, to understand there was there were two sides. There's the movie side and there's the literature side. Did you, uh, in, when you were preparing to research the, this book and the character, did you go to any of the uh, books that are written about Bond, like the uh, biography of Bond, if you will, and get familiar with it like that? Or did you just use your uh, knowledge of the books you had read from the Fleming series? Well, mainly in terms of textual inspiration, I was looking to Fleming, but certainly I was you know, making use of, um, I'm looking up here at my bookshelf, which is full of books about Bond, which I've been collecting all <laughs> of my life, and I would use them for research. So although I wasn't writing in response to the films necessarily, you, you can't block the films out, and I don't think you should either, because they inform how people view Bond. It's it's in our cultural unconscious. So actually it would be doing the reader and the writer a disservice to pretend they don't exist. You know, I think it would be impossible. So right. I tried to draw on them for inspiration. So a book like The Art of Bond by Loren Buzero, I was flicking through that and looking at Ken Adams' amazing designs. I was looking at the clothing. I was looking at the watches because James Bond is such a material world and you really want to bring that aesthetic pleasure to life on the page. So things like that I found really helpful. And then other books like uh, Bond Girls Are Forever by Mariam Deveau and John Cork, um, which is so interesting, giving an insight into the experience of women in the world of Bond, um, which right. I read proud to join. So, so I, I, I drew a lot of inspiration from books like that. Fantastic, fantastic. 
so Kim, you are not a first time author. You've written some works that were very highly acclaimed. I was wondering if you could tell us about your writing journey before you ventured into Bond and how it all led to where you are today. Absolutely. My first novel, Testament, came out in 2018 and is very different from Bond. It's an intergenerational saga about the impact of the Holocaust across three generations of a family, which is part of my family history. So it really came from a very personal place. But there mm -hmm. are actually two or three James Bond references, um, which aren't even subtle. They're just there <laughs> uh, in the book, <laughs> because I really have been saying to people all of my life, if I could do anything, I'd like to write James Bond. So I was, I was waving a flag there. And I was lucky that the Fleming family really enjoyed the book. And the way it, it came about to me was that they were looking for a new writer. Anthony Horowitz's mm -hmm. tenure was coming to an end. And they were looking for somebody who was a real fan. You know, that's very important to them. This is their family legacy. It's important to them that you really care. You're really passionate. And my agent heard they were looking and she, she knew that this was a dream of mine. And she actually, she scrolled back through my tweets to when my first novel had come out, Testament, it came out the same year as one of Horowitz's Bond books, and I tweeted a picture of it in a shop next to his uh, Bond book, and I'd said something like, oh, one step closer to my dream of writing James Bond. So my agent wow. found that and screenshot it and sent it to the Flemings and said, maybe this is the author for you. And uh, I then sent them some ideas, and we talked. And I also sent them, because I wanted to demonstrate my passion, I sent them right. this quote that I had from when I was about 13 or 14. It was a bit of homework to write about an author you admire. And I'd made mm -hmm. this booklet on Ian Fleming with uh, pull out flaps and illustrations and all of these things. So I sent wow. them of that and just said, you know, this is how passionate I am. I would love this opportunity. And they liked my ideas and it all took off from there. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. What lessons from your first book did you, uh, from your previous writings, did you take with you into this latest uh, foray of yours? Like uh, what mm. lessons did you learn? How, did, how do you think you've grown as a writer since? That's a really good question. I think a lot of it comes down to structure. They are very different novels, but um, Testament, as I said, it takes place over about 60 years. It's grappling with three generations experience. And mm -hmm. so the structure was really important. There's a timeline in 1944 and a timeline in the present day. And okay. how to weave those together. I, I thought about it a lot in terms of architecture. The novel was born in some ways on a visit to the Jewish Museum in Berlin, which, if, if people don't know, has these incredible um, concrete shafts that pierce the building. And okay. when I was there, I thought, what would, they're known as voids, and I wondered what would a void look like in a novel, and could it be a tunnel between past and present? So the novel was conceived very architecturally, and the a lot of the edits came down to these very fine structural movements and that really helped me for Double or Nothing because we have these multiple double O's. So we have um, 003, Johanna Harwood, 009, Sid Bashir, and 004, Joseph Dryden, who mm -hmm. are off on separate missions, but those missions interlock and interweave and impact on each other at crucial moments in the story. So I think for me, that structural complexity of Testament really helped. And then I, in terms of growing as a writer, it's perhaps a little bit about character motivations and what you're trying to achieve by the end. With something right. like Testament, what you're trying to achieve is quite abstract. It's a character's sense of identity or belonging. With something like James Bond, what you're trying to achieve is very practical and real. You know, it's to stop a bomb going off or to find a crucial file or, or whatever it is. So <laughs> there's a kind of concrete outcome instead of an abstract outcome. 
Exactly, yeah. And it's also um, interesting that with thrillers, you can take them in a bunch of different directions that the casual mm -hmm. reader doesn't really understand. Like with a Bond book, you expect he's going to be the central character. But I think right. it's interesting that you decided to introduce three different characters who the audience isn't familiar with. Absolutely. That was one of the sort of exciting challenges of the story. The Flemings wanted these new double O characters. And the trouble with James Bond, in a way, is that he's such a star, he occupies the spotlight. And if he's there, you're not really going to pay attention to anybody else around him. You're just looking right. at him. So I had to get him out of the way, get him to stand out of the spotlight so I could bring these new characters into it, which was where the idea of having him go missing in the beginning came from. And then when I was looking at the new characters, the first thing I did was I went on MI6's website and you can look at their recruiting pages. They're like job adverts, basically. And sure. they're really funny because they're things like, do you like to travel? Do you speak multiple languages? Do you have loose ethics? Um, no, it doesn't say <laughs> that, but it's, it's kind of between the lines. Uh, but what I really noticed was that they were recruiting people from as wide a net as possible, you know, looking for people from diverse backgrounds, which of course makes sense when you think about it, because if every spy looks like James Bond, there's going to be a real limit to the number of places they can go undercover. Right. So that seemed to be an invitation to create this inclusive world and to bring in multiple agents from different backgrounds and hopefully allow more readers to see themselves as the hero of the story. Exactly. Yeah, that makes them. Uh, it's funny. Yesterday, when I was talking to Harriet Tice, we were talking about the difference between making characters likable and making them relatable. And right. we both talked about how you don't necessarily need to like a character but you need to relate to them in some way. Otherwise, they're just words on a page. Absolutely. And I think that question of likability is so interesting because oftentimes when we'll talk about our favorite characters, they're not all that likable. When you look at some of the iconic characters of literature, Mr. Darcy say, he's really mm -hmm. not all that likable, but he's beloved. And the same could right. go for James Bond. You know, Ian Fleming often writes about him as having a cruel, taciturn face, as being brutal, as being cold. That's only one side of him, but it's a side that he presents to the world most of the time. Right. Uh, and I think that's what makes him compelling. You know, if he was this very shiny hero with no dark side, uh, he would lack some of that exciting crunch that we love as readers. Right, exactly right. Um, he's fascinating. And have you read any other uh, spy novelists that helps you find the voice for uh, the James Bond book that you wrote? Really good question. Um, I'm looking again at my bookshelves, so many. <laughs> Massive John le Carre fan. John le Carre obviously very different from James Bond, and he famously mm -hmm. said that James Bond would be the easiest character to uh, turn to another country um, because you could blackmail him on women, drugs, <laughs> money, <laughs> any number of things. But um, right. uh, I love how John le Carre writes about nationhood and about Britain. And James Bond is such a symbol for Britain. So Thinking about how Le Carre used spy fiction to do that, I found really inspiring. Uh, Graham Greene, similarly, um, of that mm. era. Um, and then this, it's, I guess it's straddling the line with spy fiction, but I'm a massive fan of the Modesty Blaze series by Peter O'Donnell. And if, if people don't know Modesty Blaze, the, the shorthand way to say is, oh, she's a female James Bond, but that would be doing Modesty Blaze a massive disservice. She's a criminal who turns into a spy and she's so capable and cool and rounded and vulnerable and funny and brilliant and I just I love that series so I, I always go back to that as well. 
That's a good choice. I highly recommend that one as well. It's, mm. it's also one of my favorites. Another person that I always, another writer I love is Len Dayton, who oh, yes. did the If Chris Files. And, yes. you know, a lot of people say, oh, the Michael Caine novels and mm. the Michael Caine uh, movies, rather. But when you look at him, he was, those books themselves are just fantastic. And they're a mix of tension and humor. Mm. And mm. it's, it's, they're great. They're some of my favorites as well. Absolutely. And I was really interested in the Ipcris file with what he does with point of view, because there are points yeah. where it's a very interior novel. And yet there are points where you're closed out of the character's kind of inner thoughts or motivations and you're left in the dark. And it's a fantastic way to bring in suspense. And he does that so masterfully. And actually, there's there's a recent spy novel by Kate Atkinson transcription um, where she does this similar play with point of view where you're very close to a character and yet there are some unknowable aspects to them which are really central to the story so if people don't know uh, Kate Atkinson I'd, I'd really recommend her as well. Yeah 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 that's another great one as well yeah. it really is. Now I know a lot of people uh, may have asked you this but uh, since we're talking about Bond I have to ask you do you have a favorite James Bond movie? <laughs> oh favorite movie uh, well my favorite movie is from Russia with Love which is also my mm. favorite book my favorite Bond is actually Pierce Brosnan. That's the Bond I grew up with. And, you know, that's right. my Bond. But my favorite movie is from Russia with Love because for me, I remember watching it. Um, when would I have seen it? Probably just as I became a teenager. And it encapsulated everything about Bond. You know, you've got him in the three-piece gray suit. You've got the train. Um, you've got the beautiful locations. And when I first saw it, I didn't understand anything about the politics. I just I just loved its aesthetic. You've got quite a Hitchcock aesthetic coming through. And for mm -hmm. me, that's one of the coolest films and really distills everything I love about James Bond. Right. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that was one of my favorites as well. For me, the the um, I love Pierce Brosnan. I, I didn't think he had the right scripts for himself, mm. uh, you know, in those when he did it. But he was he had the look and I think he could have been the best Bond if he had had better scripts. If he had had Craig's mm. scripts, I think he would have been fine. But I don't think he could have brought what Craig did to the the role as well the physicality and it was a different different time in the in the bond saga absolutely. um yeah, one of my favorite car chases of all time is in uh quantum of solace so oh. uh the, the the opening scene i thought that, yeah. that's one of my favorite openings of a movie ever so very good choice and yeah daniel craig just revolutionized the role didn't he and i remember being so nervous when he was cast everybody was and now that seems so silly in retrospect but i'd loved piss brosnan so much and here yeah. was this new one that was my first experience of that happening in, in my lifetime and i remember going to see casino rail in the cinema and we went as a family but my mum couldn't come with us because she was working and she was really nervous on my behalf you know what if i didn't like daniel craig because this would this would cause untold problems in our household <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I went quite trepidatious, but I remember as he, in the beginning of Casino Royale, as he runs up the crane, which is so early in the film, um, I leant forward in my cinema seat and I said out loud, oh, Bond. And then I thought, well, okay, well, he's got me. <laughs> That's what, like 10 minutes in. Uh, so when we got home to let my mum know it was okay, I found a big bit of a cardboard box and I wrote in all caps, he is Bond. So yes. that my mum, <laughs> no, there was no need to panic. <laughs> Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, that's funny because that was, uh, yeah, that was a great movie. They they really, they did, a, it was a great transitional movie and it was a great way to kick off a new uh, series for him, which was, was you know, great. And I, I loved every movie. Um, mm. I was wondering what are your, if you can talk about it, what are your next plans for the Bond franchise that you're involved in now? 
Well, I've just finished writing book two in the 00 series, and I'm just finishing up edits on that now, which has been a really exciting process. I knew from the beginning that I was going to have um, three books to play with, which is a gift for a writer because you can plan these really long character arcs that, right. that kind of go the distance. So each book is discrete, each book can stand alone, but there are also connective tissues between them. And that's been really fun for me because I got to know some of the characters so well in book one. And it's been really right. fun to, to delve a little bit further with some and then to have other characters come in. So that's been great. And now I'm finishing the edits on that and I've just started to write book three, but that's in a very okay. stage. So um, we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Well, it's probably going to turn out just as well as the others have, especially Double or Nothing, which is out now from Harper Collins. What's the you've got a lot going on? What's the best way that people can keep track of you online? Absolutely. Um, well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kim T Sherwood, and I have a Substack, Girl with the Golden Pen, um, where uh, people get a, a sort of window into my writing life and updates on events and things like that, and Zoom hangouts and um, special merch and all, all exciting things. So um, do do follow me there if you'd like to hear more of my um, inner monologue. That's fantastic. That's right. I encourage everybody to do so because I think that's the coolest name of a blog I've heard in a long time. <laughs> so I, that's really awesome. Well, Kev, thank you so much for being here and um, for joining us for yet another edition of Spies, Lies and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air radio network. And uh, please visit bestthrillerbooks.com for reviews of all the best thrillers out there. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.